Thank you for joining us for this podcast from College Church of the Nazarene University Avenue. The following was recorded live on location in Bourbonnais, Illinois. So this one is easy. I mean, who hasn't heard the story of the feeding of the 5,000? Who hasn't heard the story? And not only that, who doesn't know the message from the story? The feeding of the 5,000. I mean, even if we don't apply what it is Jesus is revealing, even if we ignore the teaching from it, even if we don't act on it, we all know the message of the story. Now, one of the reasons it is so familiar to us, in addition to it being just a great story, one of the reasons we have heard it so many times is because this is the only miracle that Jesus does that all four Gospels record. That might be kind of surprising, but a, apart from the resurrection, this is the only miracle story that Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John all report. So evidently, uh, we're supposed to know this story and its message, and I think we do. If you were to preach from this text, if you were to lead a Bible study from this text, what would you say about it? What do you think is the takeaway of Jesus feeding the 5,000? I've preached from this one often. The last time I preached this story was from, Matthew, I mean, from Matthew's gospel was six years ago. And what I said six years ago wasn't original with me for sure. But the focus of that sermon, and I'm not expecting anybody to remember it, but some of you might surprise me. The focus of that sermon preached six years ago was verse 16 of Matthew 14. As I said, we know the story. The disciples came to Jesus and told Jesus to send the people away because there was no food where they were. And Jesus said, they do not need to go away. You give them something to eat. And that was the title of the message six years ago. You give them something to eat. It's a powerful verse. And I promise you it's hard not to preach it again. In response to the disciples telling Jesus that he needed to tell the people that they needed to leave and go find food by themselves, Jesus replied, they do not need to go away. You give them something to eat. And that specific response on the part of Jesus, you give them something to eat, to his disciples who didn't want to be bothered by the hunger of the people in front of them, that specific response, you give them something to eat, is recorded by all three synoptic gospel writers. To the letter. Matthew 14, we already read it. The disciples came to Jesus and said, this is a remote place and it's already getting late. Send the crowds away so they can go to the villages and buy themselves some food. Jesus replied, they do not need to go away. You give them something to eat. Mark's gospel. Jesus' disciples came to him and said, send the people away so they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves some food to eat. But Jesus answered, you give them something to eat. Luke 9, late in the afternoon, the 12 came to Jesus and said, send the crowd away so they can go to the surrounding villages and countryside and find food and lodging because we are in a remote place. And Jesus replied, you give them something to eat. Word for word, letter for letter, the same in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And in John's gospel, it is, assumed, it is assumed by Jesus that the people's hunger is the disciples' problem. Jesus just presumes that the disciples are going to be the ones to get food for the people because Jesus asks Philip that question. When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? So in all four gospels, it's on the disciples to feed the people. So that's the message of the story, right? Six-word message. You give them something to eat. 
With the application being, we're supposed to ask ourselves, who might it be right in front of us that the Lord is asking us to tend to that we would rather send away? I mean, the takeaway from this story is the Lord expects us to participate in the mission of God ourselves. I mean, the takeaway from this story is every single one of us is called to serve the Lord. Participating in the mission of God is not delegated to the professionals. God's call is not reserved for all those who go into full-time Christian ministry. The disciples said, Lord, these people are hungry. They need to get themselves from some food. And, and Jesus said, no, you give them something to eat. So God has enlisted all of us to serve with him in his work. We're supposed to be feeding, literally and metaphorically, those who are hungry. And we could stop there. And I could challenge you to name your ministry, name your call, name your vocation. What do you do in Christ's name for his sake? Who are you feeding? I could be one, I could end there. I think that's an all right message. Another takeaway, another perspective that we could derive from this story could be not only does God call all of us to participate in the redemption of this world and the sharing of the good news, God has invited us into the privilege of working alongside him in the redemption of the world. Now, that's not what I did six years ago, but we can imagine this morning how much fun it would have been for those disciples to participate with Jesus in the feeding of the 5,000, the wonder and adventure of distributing that food from Jesus just a little bit of food, watching that bread and fish multiply. I mean, Jesus could have done it all by himself, but he chose not to. So he invited his disciples into the ministry. So another perspective on the story is he invites us to participate in the bringing of the kingdom and how much worth and meaning it provides to us to be engaged in such an eternal project. He gives us the privilege of participating with him. And that could be another takeaway. And if we went there, it would be an eight-word message. It wouldn't only be you give them something to eat. It would be you get to give them something to eat. But again, the application would be, so who are we ministering to? Who are you ministering to? What is your service in the kingdom? Well, that might be a good message and an important message, a true message, we should know that the answer to the question, how have we joined with God in the redemption of the world, that really wouldn't be a message that is completely true to this text. Because there's more to this story than just the disciples wanting to send the crowd away. In fairness to the disciples, they weren't simply being indifferent to the hungry crowd. Well, they could be pretty indifferent to the, to the needs around them, just as we can be. But that's not really what's going on here. No, the disciples wanted to send the people away because they couldn't feed them. It wasn't that they had food and just didn't want to share it. It's that they had nothing to share. They couldn't have fed the people even if they had wanted to. So their request that Jesus send the people away was a request motivated by compassion. Jesus, we have no food. These people are hungry you need to give them permission to leave so they can get something to eat. You need to send them away or they're never going to leave. 
I mean, the disciples had no idea how this crowd might otherwise be fed. And every gospel writer recorded that as the case. Right after Jesus said, you give them something to eat, the disciples said, we have here only five loaves of bread and two fish. Matthew's gospel, obvious implication, that's not enough. Mark reports it this way. They said to Jesus, that would take more than half a year's wages. Are we to go and spend that much on bread and give that to them to eat? And the, and the last question from the disciples was rhetorical. They didn't have that kind of money, a half a year's wages among them. And Luke says the same. They answered, we have only five loaves of bread and two fish unless we go and buy food for all this crowd. About 5,000 men were there. And the point of that parenthetical comment about how many people were there was to underscore the fact that buying food really wasn't an option. And then, of course, John's gospel. Philip answered Jesus, it would take more than half a year's wages to buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. So even a half year's wages wouldn't have cut it. So it wasn't that the disciples were indifferent to the need, it's that they didn't have the resources to meet the need, which is a different message. Because the rest of the story is, of course, but Jesus did. The disciples didn't have the resources, but Jesus did. The disciples just didn't know it. Because when the disciples gave Jesus what they had, which was not enough to feed 5,000, when they gave Jesus what they did have, why it was more than enough. 12 baskets full of more than enough. So the problem was that the disciples didn't have the means to feed the 5,000. The problem was they didn't have the faith to believe that Jesus could with what they had to offer. So that's the message of this true story. When we give what we have to Jesus, it's more than enough. And that we should know that our participation in this work of kingdom building, no matter how great or small, is that that participation when given to Jesus is more than enough. So we shouldn't worry about the relative significance of our service, how it compares to what others can do, because Jesus takes even the smallest contribution when offered in faith and works miracles even there. There's no service too small, and that is a good message. And I think it's an important message. Because more often than we ought to, we consider the apparent significance of our service instead of the motive in which it is offered. Because our service can't compare to what others are able to do, we think our service less significant. And so the message of the feeding of the 5,000 is the story of the little boy who gave to Jesus what he had. The message of the feeding of the 5,000 is the story of the little drummer boy. Come, they told me. Pa-rumpa-pum-pum, a newborn king to see. Pa-rumpa-pum-pum. Our finest gifts we bring, pa-rumpa-pum-pum, to lay before the king. Pa-rumpa-pum-pum, rumpa-pum-pum, rumpa-pum-pum. Can you believe I'm doing this? <laughs> Debbie just said no. <laughs> Little baby, pa-rumpa-pum-pum. I'm a poor boy too, pa-rumpa-pum-pum. I have no gift to bring, pa-rumpa-pum-pum. That's fit to give a king. Pa-rum-pum-pum-pum, rum-pum-pum-pum, rum-pum-pum-pum. Shall I play for you? Pa-rum-pum-pum-pum on my drum. Amen. Amen. 
Well, no, I'm not done. There's more. There's, there's one more stanza. <laughs> they never let me sing on the praise team, so this is what I got to do. I'm just taking charge. Shall I play for you on my drum? Mary nodded. Pa-rum-pa-pum-pum. The ox and lamb kept time. Pa-rum-pa-pum-pum. I played my drum for him. Pa-rum-pa-pum-pum. I played my best for him. Pa-rum-pa-pum-pum. Rum-pa-pum-pum. Rum-pa-pum-pum. Then he smiled at me. Pa-rum-pum-pum-pum. Me and my drum. So the message of the feeding of the 5,000 is the story of the little drummer boy. It's the story of the parable of the talents. It doesn't matter how much we have been given. It matters what we do with what we have been given. It's the story of the widow's mite, whose gift of a penny was greater than those who gave out of their abundance. So that's the message of the story in this feeding of the 5,000. And I think that's a good message. Five loaves and two fish in Jesus' hands were sufficient to feed 5,000 plus. So we should not do as we are inclined to do and measure the worth of our service, but rather trust our service to the Lord, a cup of cold water this morning. In Jesus' name. So the six-word message would be, give what you have to Jesus. A forward message, serve how you can. However, well, that might be a good message, perhaps a message that someone needs to hear this morning. And it is fairly faithful to the text. I have to say that that would not even be as faithful to the text as it could be. There's more to this story than just the disciples not having the resources or the faith to see what Jesus could do with the resources they had. Because so far in the reading and telling of the story, we have absolutely ignored the context of why it was Jesus and his disciples were where they were in the first place, in a remote place where there was no food. You see, Jesus had gone there intentionally to that remote place. It wasn't poor planning. The word that Matthew uses to describe where it was they were was desert or wilderness. Not simply remote, not simply solitary. No, Jesus went into the wilderness, according to Matthew. And when the Hebrew word for wilderness, which the children of Israel wandered around in for 40 years, when that word is translated into Greek, the Greek word used to translate the Hebrew word for wilderness is the word that Matthew uses here. So it wasn't that Jesus simply went to a solitary or remote place. No, he was in the wilderness not unlike the wilderness the children of Israel were in, and not unlike the wilderness in which Jesus was tempted. And the reason he went there was because he had just heard about his cousin John being murdered. Matthew 13, 14, on hearing about this, Jesus left in a boat to be by himself in the wilderness, is the translation of that verse. And the this is the murder of John the Baptist. John, who dared to speak of the immorality of King Herod, who married his brother's wife, was imprisoned by Herod for pointing out the immorality. John was imprisoned by Herod for pointing out that immorality and then was beheaded, indifferently, callously, whimsically beheaded because drunken Herod promised his dancing stepdaughter anything she wanted. 
and his stepdaughter, at the prompting of her jealous and angry mother, asked for John's head to be brought in on a platter as if it were an entree. So John was biding his time in prison, waiting for a decision about his future, not sure what his future would be, when summarily, suddenly, without warning, had his life taken from him because of a party. And Jesus had just heard that John the Baptist, who as an embryo had leapt in his mother's womb in the presence of Mary, who was with child with Jesus. Jesus had just heard that John the Baptist, the last prophet in Israel's history, who had gone ahead of Jesus and was making the way straight for Jesus. Jesus had just heard that John the Baptist, his cousin, his friend, and brother in ministry was summarily, indifferently, meaninglessly, callously murdered, a random, unnecessary act of deadly violence against a man Jesus loved. So Jesus, being fully human, left the crowds and left his disciples to be all by himself. We don't have to guess why. We know why. To weep, to mourn, and to wonder. I mean, why would he not? How could he not? So Matthew wants us to know that Jesus was in the wilderness, literally in the wilderness, and I want to say figuratively in the wilderness as well. I want to say perhaps another wilderness of temptation for our Lord because John's death foreshadowed Jesus' death in the hands of another cowardly ruler. So that's the context. Jesus was in the wilderness. And it was to Jesus in his wilderness the crowds went. Jesus, who obviously wanted to, needed to be alone without the company of even his disciples. And Matthew tells us that the crowds either ignorant of or indifferent to or maybe even because of followed him into that wilderness. And this was Jesus' response. Jesus, who didn't have a whole lot to offer at this point, when Jesus saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them and healed their sick. Context matters here. Matthew wants us to know that it was when Jesus was in the wilderness, literally and figuratively, that he had compassion on that crowd and healed their sick. It was when Jesus was in the wilderness, literally and figuratively, that Jesus told his disciples, no, you give them something to eat. In his grief and in his sorrow, he served. So maybe it wasn't only the disciples who were without the resources to serve. Maybe it was Jesus too. And maybe that's the message of the feeding of the 5,000, that it is when we have nothing to give that God can use us the most. Amen. That it's when we are in the wilderness that God can use us. And perhaps it was because Jesus was in the wilderness that he had compassion on that crowd as well. 
Maybe the wilderness was what enabled Jesus to see their need. Folks, it just might be it's when we are in the wilderness that God can use us the most. The wilderness is not what prevents us from serving. The wilderness is what qualifies us for serving. So on Wednesday, I read the book of 2 Corinthians. Some of you know, maybe all of you know, I'm reading through the Bible this year, and I got a little behind, so I'm having to read a bunch at a time to meet my goal. So I read the entire book of 2 Corinthians. It didn't take that long, 30 minutes. It was a really good thing to do. Apostle Paul is writing to a church that made pretty rough on him. He's writing from a place of distress. He had suffered at their hands. And the first letter that Paul had written to the church at Corinth was a letter full of correction and admonishment because they were not who they should have been. And the relationship between Paul and that church at Corinth had caused Paul no little grief. And so the second letter is a letter of reconciliation in which Paul is pretty honest about how hard his ministry had been. And not only because of them, but just how hard ministry is. <sighs> I do a podcast every week for pastors who th are thinking of quitting. It is hard work. And that's where Paul was. And this is how he started the letter. I'm not going to read all of 2 Corinthians this morning. I'm just going to read a few sections. But this is how he started the letter. The word of the Lord. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. For just as we share abundantly in the sufferings of Christ, so also our comfort abounds through Christ. Did you catch that? Listen to it. The comfort we receive while in the middle of our troubles is for the sake of comforting others. The wilderness is not what prevents us from service. The wilderness is what qualifies us for service. And then the Apostle Paul wrote this, very first paragraphs. We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about the troubles we experienced in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt we had received the sentence of death. Yeah. If you're in ministry, this will be your experience. You serve our Lord in any worthy way. That will be your experience. Then he wrote this. But this happened that we might not rely on ourselves. But on God who raises the dead. Yeah. Folks, maybe it's when we're in the wilderness that God can use us the most. Because there we have to rely on God. Maybe it's when we have no resources that God uses us the best. And then after addressing a few particular matters in the second and third chapter, then 
This is what Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 4. Therefore, since through God's mercy we have this ministry, we do not lose heart. We have this treasure in jars of clay. We have this treasure of God's spirit in jars of clay. He's talking about our possession of God the spirit here. Not putting the spirit in a jar of clay. This is the jar of clay. We have this treasure in jars of clay. To show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. And all this is for your benefit, Church of Corinth. All of my sacrifice is for your benefit, says the Apostle Paul, so that the grace that is reaching more and more people may cause thanksgiving to overflow to the glory of God. Oh, may all of this bring glory to God. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Though outwardly, we are wasting away. Inwardly, we're being renewed. Day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us a glory that outweighs them all. Folks, it is when we are in the wilderness, when we have nothing to give that God can use us the most. The wilderness is not what prevents us from serving. The wilderness is what qualifies us for serving. Here's the story. Jesus went into the wilderness, and the people followed him there. When he saw the crowds, he didn't say, I need some time. He didn't say, this is my time. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them and healed their sick. And then when those disciples came, they said to Jesus, oh, let's send them away so they can get something to eat. What a temptation for Jesus. What a temptation. And Jesus said from the wilderness, you give them something to eat. Is when we are in the wilderness, when we have nothing left to give, that God can use us the most. And this should not be news to us. Because every week, we take the symbols of a broken body and shed blood as the symbol of our faith, the identifying people the identifying worship act is the sacrament. If you don't believe Jesus is Lord, you don't take the sacrament. I mean, other faiths sing and other faiths pray and other faiths gather, but this is the only thing that Christians who call Jesus Lord do in a worship service. 
It is what names us. It's what identifies us. And we should know that it is out of the wilderness that we serve because every week we take broken bread and poured out juice, poured out juice as a symbol of the kingdom. Would you share the sacrament with someone today? Would you share the sacrament with someone today? And this is, oh, this is so much. This is a reminder of what is true. Uh, this is a promise of what is to come. This is evidence of our need for him and Jesus supplying that need, this eating of bread and juice. But folks, this is also a pledge of loyalty to the Christ. This is us saying by eating and drinking, I'm with you in this. I'm a part of your redemption. I'm a part of the feeding of the hungry. This is a pledge of allegiance to our Savior. And this morning, when you receive the bread and juice, receive it as promise of what God has done for you. But covenant yourself this morning to be loyal to the mission that Jesus has given all of us. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I'm so glad that you went ahead of us and showed us the way. Uh, you do not do bait and switch. You tell us exactly how it's going to be. And Lord, you showed us the way in the feeding of the 5,000. When you went to the wilderness... And it was there, Lord, there in that place of desolation and emptiness, of no resources that you fed, 5,000 plus. Oh, Lord, may we understand our wildernesses differently. May we understand them as you're forming us into kingdom people who serve you and rely on you. So Lord, we take this bread and juice as a confession of our need for you. Oh Lord, this is, this is our need of you expressed physically. But Lord, this morning we commit ourselves to this mission. We commit ourselves to serving as you served. Out of our surplus and out of our poverty, we serve. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're reminded on the night that our Lord was betrayed, the night he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had given thanks on the night he was betrayed, he gave thanks. And he gave it to his disciples saying, take eat, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. After supper, he took the cup, and when he had given thanks in the night he was betrayed, he gave thanks. He gave the cup to them, and he said, drink all of it. This is the blood of the new covenant, which is shed for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this as oft as ye shall drink it in remembrance of me, never forgetting me. The body of our Lord Jesus Christ, which was broken for you, 
May it preserve you blameless under everlasting life. Take and eat this in remembrance that Christ died for you. The blood of our Lord Jesus Christ, which was shed for you, for you, put your name there, the blood of Jesus Christ, which was shed for you, May it preserve you blameless unto everlasting life. Take and drink this in remembrance that Christ's blood was shed for you and let us be grateful. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for the privilege of gathering in your house today with those we love and those who love us. Thank you for the faithfulness of your people. Thank you for the privilege of hearing your word through the children. Lord, would you, would you allow the word that we heard this morning, written and spoken, to be leaven, to be mustard seed, Lord, may, may we be partners with you in this work that you've called us to do. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to a podcast from College Church of the Nazarene, University Avenue. If you care to join us for worship, we meet each Sunday morning at 1030 a.m. at 200 University Avenue in Bourbon, Illinois. We also offer a full range of activities, classes, small group meetings, and events throughout the week. For a complete list of what's going on at College Church or for more information on how you can get involved, please go to www.collegechurch.org.